This is episode 016 of the Reno Slant. Saturday was not great, but Tuesday night, that was great. Welcome to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans, where an award-winning sports writer and his Nevada alum brother discuss Nevada football, Nevada basketball, and, well, pretty much everything else Nevada, except for the Loyalist Chicago tournament game. We don't talk about that. Here are your bro hosts, Adam and Nathan Schaub. Well, Saturday night sucked. It just sucked. A really tough end to Thanksgiving weekend. Besides the football game, I hope you all had a great weekend with friends, family, food, football, all the F's in there. Uh, thank you to all of you who said hello at the Orleans Arena, at the UMass game on Friday, and at Sam Boyd. It was truly awesome to to meet some of you guys and to, and to talk with some of you guys who listen to the show regularly. So that was a lot of fun. Adam and I, we have to do a post-mortem on the UNLV game. We'll share our thoughts on what went wrong, and then we're going to forget about it literally forever. Literally forever. <laughs> Nevada basketball jumped to up to number five in the country and throttled Loyola Chicago last night. That was from first whistle to triple zeros. Nevada handled Loyola Chicago on the road. That was impressive. Adam and I will break that one down, then preview the USC matchup on Saturday. That's going to be a fun one. Saturday afternoon, sandwiched around a ton of football. Cause it's conference championship Saturday and the Nevada game. I hope you have like nine TV screens ready to go. Like I'll be watching games on my phone, on my laptop, <laughs> and the TV. What do we need to know about the Trojans? What are the keys to a Nevada road victory? Who's our favorite player on the other roster? And yes, predictions. And this week we got the man calling the shots at Nevada. We got athletic director Doug Newth on the show. Had a great talk about his Thanksgiving, his thoughts on the athletic department as a whole. Because that thing's certainly trending in the right direction. His analysis on the football season, the regular season, because it's not over yet. And what's his hiring formula? Because it's working. And, and a lot more. Really great conversation with Doug. For slants, bringing this one back. Wow, San Jose State is bad. Games of the weekend, Twitter questions, and random Reno. I do want to say really quickly, I appreciate you guys for sticking with us the last couple weeks. We know shows have gotten longer than we would like, and it just got tough with basketball and football overlapping. We're gonna, we really want it to be more in the 80-minute range, and we're hoping to get more into that. We'll probably have a couple longer shows still in, in December. But we just want to thank you guys. We recognize those are longer shows. They've been longer shows than we planned. Um, so thanks for for sticking with us. So we'll get into uh, to everything. We'll do the Little Chicago recap. We'll do the UNLV recap. We'll hear from Doug. And then we'll look ahead to USC and slants. But first, our iTunes five-star review of the week. We were shut out again this week. I'm not even going to say it's embarrassing anymore because it's not embarrassing. I think we're just going to – we have to wear it like a badge of pride. <laughs> the pool now spikes up to $3 next week. We're, we're starting to get into some real money here. So whoever leaves the iTunes five-star review of the week, if you're listening on iTunes right now, it's super easy. Just got to scroll down to leave a review. It takes about 10 seconds. You'll be in the running next week. Uh, dude, we got a lot to get into, but you just got back from Brazil – I intentionally haven't asked you at all about how the trip has gone. We haven't really even talked since last time we recorded. 
Mm-hmm. And I did that on purpose because I want to save it for the pod. So how was it and how are you feeling right now? Because you got back, what, this morning? Yeah, I flew back this morning. I landed back in Reno, I think, like 1030. But it, it was just an absolute nightmare getting back from the start. I checked my my first flight out of Rio. It, I knew it was delayed the night before, and I only had like an hour and a half layover in Colombia. Long story short, I check into my flight on the phone, and they send me all these boarding passes to flights that weren't my original flight. Great. And I found out that I, that they were planning on me missing the connections. So then I was going to have like four different stops instead of just one, uh, and then like fighting with the counter for a while. So I ended up getting like a $250 voucher to the airline, which is, I mean... Which airline? Uh, Avianca. It's a Colombian one. But I mean, that's, it's just give me two hundred. It's not going to help a lot. That's not going to get you down to the Rose Bowl next week. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, so I was. So long story short, I gave myself five hours in my layover because it was different airlines. Um, and I just was anticipating mistakes or delays or whatnot. So my flight for American Airlines was 10:35 last night. So get to Reno about midnight. But because they pushed me back and I had all these different stops, I ended up like. I think I landed in LA at like 10:45. I just yeah. missed my plane, so yeah, I, I I ended up hitting up Marcus and stayed uh in Palos Verdes last night, oh, okay. so ended up not not having to sleep on the floor in the airport. But yeah, I'm pretty uh <laughs> pretty tired. But all in all, the tri- all in all, the trip was great. Yeah, did a lot of driving around. You know, a lot of a lot of seeing some sites. The first, you know the beach city, the Buzos we stayed at was dope. So good trip. So you're delirious right now. How excited are you to go to work in the morning? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually more glad though like looking back at it that i missed my flight last night because i was thinking because i was supposed to go to work today and that i was thinking awful. there oh that's what i was like awful. i was originally supposed to land you know reno at midnight go to work after all this traveling and so i'm actually pretty glad that all that kind of happened so it allowed yeah. today that i kind of just got to chill out do you ever get, end up getting sunburnt or more bug, more bug bites sunburnt no bug bites yes i just i mean i looked like um it looked like I almost had like chicken pox at one point on my back because I didn't bit, bit so much. Hopefully but you got your vaccinations up to date. <laughs> well, I haven't been showing symptoms of We're yellow gonna fever yet. We're going to find out. Yeah, yeah exactly. So no yellow fever yet, but we'll, we'll find out real soon. Reno Slant might be a solo show here in a couple months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was tough for you to really – we talked about this last week. It was tough for you to really pay attention to, to what was going on. But uh, last night – so did you get to watch the game last night actually? No, so I didn't even, I was so confused on the days that when, uh, when Marcus picked me up, he was like, yo, Nevada won tonight. And I was like, oh, they beat USC. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. That's how, that's how messed up I was in the head. So no, I, I didn't get a, didn't get to see it at all. So we're going to get some really good information from you now on your thoughts on the game. So yeah. That, so that I ap- means- <laughs> apologize in advance, everybody. I'm, I was checking out a box score today. So Nevada. As I mentioned at the top, throttled Loyola Chicago, 79-65, led by as much as 20. An incredible start to that one. Nevada now 7-0 and on the season. Not unfamiliar unfamiliar territory. Nevada started 8-0 last year before that uh, overtime loss at Texas Tech. I'll, I'll start. There were mm. a couple big things that I took away from this one. And... Something we talked about a lot during football season, we talked about it this season, is what, Adam? Starting fast. Starting fast. We haven't seen this team do a lot of it, this athletic department do a lot of it uh, this fall and almost winter now. And that was not the case at all against Loyola Chicago. It was a concern. You're playing in the road. You're playing in it. That's a tough gym to play in. And you can't afford a slow start in that environment. 
and Nevada did the exact opposite of get off to a slow start. I mean, that, that was wire to wire. They led by double digits pretty much the entire game, and that was just awesome to see. I mean, it was 14-4, five minutes in. They hit 11 of their first 15 from the field, 29-9 at one point, and the game was pretty, from a scoring standpoint, even at that point. And, I mean, you can almost say Nevada won the game in those opening minutes because Loyola just couldn't. There's a couple times they tried to put a run together and just couldn't. The, the lead was ultimately insurmountable, and Nevada's length was a massive problem. We'll, we'll get to that. So just after some slow starts, playing its first true road game of the year, that was concern, and Nevada dominated from tip. That was That was awesome, I thought. Yeah, I'll tell that thought from a less intelligent viewpoint from someone who didn't get to watch the game. <laughs> I was just, I looked at the, uh, that, uh, on ESPN, they had that percent chance to win, big, you know, meter. Yeah. And I looked at it and when Nevada hit the first bucket, it was at 61%. But then I was watching the chart and it just by, um, halfway through the first, it was already at 92%. So kind of tailing what you were saying, it was, I mean, Nevada was in control the entire game. That thing was way up there. But yeah. for me, do, me doing my in-depth analysis, <laughs> that's what I saw. Those charts are kind of funny to follow, and I think I think they're so entertaining. They're interesting. I wonder how that stuff's calculated because I feel like it's be, it's become you see it a few times every year when a crazy comeback. This team had a ninety nine point mm-hmm. nine chance of losing the game, and they find a way to win. It just visually represents how crazy some of that stuff is. So I guess that is yeah, kind of cool. How, yeah, how unlikely and everything. Right. The start was awesome. Really, to me, though, the biggest takeaway, and I said this on Twitter, was the defense. Defense was a concern coming into this year. It was not a strength last year. It was defense did not look sharp against UMass. Offense looked awesome. But this was one, this was the best we've seen this Nevada defense look in a while. I mean, length was clearly an issue for Loyola. There was times passing lanes looked there. And they just disappeared at the snap of, of your fingers. Uh, Nevada was quick defensively. It was long defensively. It was imp- influencing shots. It won on the glass. It felt like every single offensive possession for Loyola, Nevada was getting a hand on a basketball and Loyola was having to scramble to try to get it back. And it, it certainly helped that Clayton Custer was, was throwing bricks up all night from, from <laughs> he had some open looks that, that couldn't go and that helps. But the defensive effort was Amazing. That to me was the most impressive part of, the, of that game. Yeah, and then I was going to break it down also simply. I mean, you can do a lot of these extra extra things, a lot of the pretty things, a lot of fancy things, you know, that might help you get victories, trick plays, whatever. But um, breaking it down from the box score, Nevada had a better field goal percentage, fifty eight to forty three. Better three point percentage, forty three to thirty five. Like you said, they had more boards, thirty three to twenty nine. Less turnovers, seven to twelve. So. I mean, they kind of did what they needed to do. It was you go, thorough. You go, yeah, you go on the road. Is I mean, that's how you win double-digit games on the road. Is you you win in those basic categories. Yep, it was thorough. It was a big night for for Caleb. Twenty-one points, eight of thirteen shooting. And I said this on Twitter as well, but I was really impressed with with his brother Cody and with your boy Trey. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was probably the best games of the year so far for both of them. Really small sample size, yes, but I, I thought that's the best that they've looked. Trey Porter, 14 and 10, 7 of 9 shooting, hit a couple blocks. He's just a different dude. Like watching him play, he had, he had at least one oop. And he, the ball 
descended from his hand through the rim to the floor in like point <laughs> three seconds. Just wham. Just slam that thing in. He is just a, a freak athlete. It looks like he didn't even jump. Like he just kind of reaches up and throws it down. When he can play like that, and he played really well defensively too. Mm-hmm. When he plays like that, whoa. I mean, Trayshawn Thurman looked awesome against UMass. He wasn't as big of, of an impact against Chicago. But you have someone like Trey Porter to go with the athleticism and length you have on the outside. Like that's legitimately terrifying. And Cody, 20 points, 9 of 14 shooting, 7 assists, 3 steals, a couple blocks. I thought he had the biggest shot of the game, and it goes overlooked in a 14-point game. But I, there were a couple times where Loyola tried to mount something, tried to put a little pressure on, including right out of the shoot to start the second half. They got it to within 13. It was 46-33. Nevada was having a shaky offensive possession, and he drilled a step-back three at the shot clock to push push it back to 16. If that doesn't go, and Loyola then maybe gets a look down the other end, they, they cut it to 11, cut it to 10, then it becomes kind of start clenching cheeks a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But he he drilled he drilled the three, then Jordan they got a stop and Jordan hit a jump on the next possession possession and that put it back to to 18 and that's kind of like okay. That really literally had that initial push out of the locker room, okay, we can make some adjustments, we can get back into it. That three I I thought was was the biggest shot of the game. Did you have anything else? Okay. Yeah, kind of the separator. I was just talking about I, I was going to mention that must only played seven guys. <laughs> Yep. So we're go- going back to that light roster. So, yeah. I mean, we'll see what he keeps doing, especially with the out of, out of conference opponents kind of get a little better. But <laughs> I just looked at it last night and saw, I think it was Caleb went all 40 minutes. Yeah, he did. So <laughs> we talked at the start of the season. How deep is he actually going to go on his bench? How many guys is he actually going to go to? That was a true road game against a pretty good team. He played seven. He really used a six-man rotation. I mean, Jordan Brown only played four minutes. Yeah, that's what I was noticing, too. Jazz, I think, played 19, and Brown, yeah, yeah didn't he, have much. Yeah, he got some legit runs. So, I mean, it's the, it's the Mar- Martin Twins, uh, Jordan Caroline, Trey Porter, Trayshawn Thurman, Jazz Johnson off the bench, and that's kind of what he's going with right now. Uh, Corey Henson got, I think he got a few seconds at the end of the first half, and he almost committed a turnover. Uh, Nizre Zuzwa, I don't know that he got in. I mean, I think he got, I think he got zero that I was, that I was looking at. I I think he did get in though. But just like a little bit. But either way, those guys didn't play a ton. And Jordan Brown, by the way, second game in a row where he got, I think it was four minutes total. So four minutes against UMass, four minutes against Loyola Chicago. And I, a lot's going right for this team, but that's that's something to look at. You got a McDonald's All American, you got a five star kid who's was <laughs> has a lot of expectations, and one of those expectations was not to come in and, and sit on the bench for certain. Um, and when he did, I mean, it's tough to get into a rhythm, but he, I mean, he got a bucket, but he had a couple kind of shots early in the shot clock. He had a, I think he had a turnover or two. Um, but that, that's a storyline to start paying attention to. We thought it might be, and it's, it's coming to fruition. We'll see what happens with, uh, Jordan Brown and his minutes here with the rest of non-conference play. We got to do a post-mortem now. Let's make it quick. On this, just. I want to be, I want to be brief. 33-29 final at Sam Boyd. Nevada led 23-0. 
and found a way to lose that one. Just a painful end to a regular season. Nevada ends the regular season seven and five, five and three. UNLV ends the year four and eight, two and six. But they get to paint the cannon red. What do you got? I mean, other than it just being an absolutely terrible, disappointing way to end the season, I mean, this was a game that I was pretty confident in. And I mean, going through, you beat, um, you know, win the last, what they win the last five games of the season. That would have been number five. Oh, that would have been number five. So you win the last four going into five, especially with it being against UNLV. It was just very, uh, definitely disappointing to say the least. I mean, other than that, my other quick take was I went to bed very confident because the game started, I think, at like 1230 in yeah. Brazil. And so I made it until it was about 20 to zero. And then I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to bed. Nevada's got it. And when I woke up in the morning, I swear I had to refresh my phone because I thought I was just like out of it. I was like, yeah. I'm definitely seeing something wrong. And then, yeah, I started reading into it. it as, you know, Nevada blows big lead and I couldn't believe it. And that's all I want to say on it. It sucks. It just sucks. It, this was such a feel good season. It felt like, and there's no way around it that losing that game takes away from what this regular season was becoming. Definitely. I, I mean, there's, there's no way around it. Nevada was on the, on the cusp of winning eight games. And it wasn't the fact that they lost the game. It was how they lost the game. Mm-hmm. You're, you're up 23 nothing. The game needs to be over at that point. And, and it needs to be over. And it just wasn't. To say that loss doesn't impact the outlook of the season would be a lie. Just the hope now is that the guys can can bounce back from that because they're still playing football. They got a bowl game, and that's a big deal. This team, we've said it a million times, won three games last season. So to more than double that is is impressive. But losing that game in that fashion, it takes away from what the season was, unfortunately. Because that's not a good UNLV team. It's just mm-hmm. not. And that was the biggest comeback, not only in the history of the battle for the Fremont Cannon, that was the biggest comeback in UNLV school history. Insult to injury. Yeah, it definitely puts an asterisk at the end of the season. Was there anything else you wanted to say about it? That was all I really wanted to go into. I don't want to, I don't want to get too much into it. I'll, I'll share one more thing. We like being positive on this podcast, but it's hard to be positive about that game. The blame has to go somewhere. And I heard a a few people talking, saying, well, the defense can't give up 33 points. Can't do it. The blame in this game, from my perspective, is not going to the defense. It's, it's, again, we, San Jose State, the offense struggled. We saw the offense struggle in a few games. Earlier this year, yeah, Ty Ganji was was banged up, but this is now seven of the last eight quarters this team has played. We've seen the offense really struggle. Mm-hmm. The offense looked great in the first quarter and then could not figure it out the rest of the way. On, on the first three drives of the game, all touchdowns, Nevada averaged 12.4 yards per play, led 20 nothing. On the following 11 drives the rest of the game, less than four yards per play, and it really should have been more than 23 nothing. I mean, they took over in the red zone after UNLV fumbled at the end of the first quarter. UNLV completely came unglued, and, and they couldn't punch that one in. Had to settle for a field goal, and that, that ends up hurting in a game you lose by four. Yeah, that's when you need to put the dagger in it. Yeah. So, offense was, was disappointing. Again, three interceptions were huge. Two on, on Nevada's last two possessions. 
UNLV only had four touchdown drives. Two of them came after picks. So 14 of UNLV's points came off turnovers to score nine points in the, in the final three quarters after that offensive first quarter that you had against the worst scoring defense in the Mountain West. It, it's hard to rationalize. It's hard to comprehend that big of a switch, that big of, of a change after, after the first quarter. So I don't know if the team got comfortable and decided to sit on the lead. I don't know if UNLV made some superhuman adjustments. I don't know what it was, but it, I can tell you it shouldn't have happened. I can, I can tell you that much. <laughs> One last thing. We talked after the San Jose State game about Toa Tawa and he left rolling his ankle and we didn't know how he was going to look against UNOV and I thought it was pretty clear that he wasn't right. 11 carries for 33 yards. It ended up being Kelton Moore who really carried the load. 13 for 13 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown. That was the biggest game of the year so far for the, for the junior. Um, so it was nice to see him step up in, in Tawa's, I don't want to say absence, but, but while he was struggling, just unfortunately for this offense, it, uh, it wasn't enough. So ho- hopefully, uh, Toa Tawa feeling better, back closer to 100% by the time, uh, this team's getting ready for a bowl or getting ready to go to, to a bowl. And speaking of bowls, we'll get in this a little bit in, uh, in slants. I've seen a lot of love for the New Mexico bowl. That would be the first bowl of the bowl season on December 15th. I've seen a lot of love for the, the famous Idaho potato bowl, <laughs> December 21st <laughs> in Boise. Uh, I've also seen the, I mean, how to pronounce this, the Raycom Media Camellia Bowl. There's a big one. That's also mm-hmm. December 15th in Montgomery, Alabama. It just unfortunately looks like, uh, this team's not going to play a power five in a bowl game, which that would be more fun. They're going to end up playing someone like North Texas. There we go. Is, is someone I've seen a lot, but a bowl is a bowl. Make the big time where you are. That's what I'm saying. All right, let's jump to our conversation with Doug Newth, Nevada Athletic Director. Covered a lot of ground. Really appreciate Doug coming on the show, sharing his thoughts on the football season. That's not over, by the way. We've still got one more. And what does he think about Nevada basketball being ranked fifth in the country? Bananas. Here's that conversation with Doug. Okay, Doug. Thrilled to have you on. We tra- we chatted briefly before the UMass game on I think that was Friday night da- down here in Vegas. But how was your how was Thanksgiving? You know, it was mostly good, and uh, I say mostly good because that's it's kind of how my life goes with uh, wins and losses of our teams, right? Yeah. So I I feel great one day when our you know our our swim team wins a big meet, and I feel terrible the next day when our tennis team loses a big match, and I feel great the next day when football wins, and I feel terrible the next day when basketball loses. Yeah, you know, it's just. That's my life. So uh, Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving weekend was wonderful. I watched some great basketball, and you know, at the Orleans, both our tournament uh, and the other tournament, the uh, the you know uh, UCLA, Michigan State, and right. Texas UCLA yep. or uh, North Carolina North games Carolina. were yep. were incredible. So I was lucky enough to stick around and watch those games as well. And and then uh, I met up with a bunch of my old Spartan friends. I worked at Michigan State a long time ago, and That's right. it seems like a long time ago. And so. I, <laughs> Got to catch up with the uh, some some close friends there, which is nice. And then, yeah. uh, boy, then a football game, which is, will be burnt into my memory for a long, <laughs> long time, um, and not yep. necessarily in a good, not necessarily in a great way. So, we, we have anyway. pl- we have plenty of sports stuff to get to. We, I got one more Thanksgiving thing that we, you can be the tie break on this. 
Last week on the show, we were debating if turkey is overrated or underrated. How do you feel about turkey on Thanksgiving? I don't, I'm not even sure there can be a rating. It's such tradition. Like, who cares what it's rated? <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have turkey. I mean, that's part of Thanksgiving. That's just tradition, right? That's a, that's so, what we that's what we argued as well. It's part of tradition, but I think collectively, yeah. I can say in terms of the Thanksgiving meal, I would say overrated. I'd go like stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy. Oh, in terms of your favorite part yeah. of the Thanksgiving meal? Oh yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. yeah now I understand. Now I understand the question. Uh, yeah, turkey with cranberry sauce is hard to beat, though. I mean, that's pretty darn good. But I'm not sure if it's the cranberry sauce that makes the turkey, or if the turkey can do it stand stand alone. I'm not <laughs> sure. Standalone turkey probably not that great, but cranberry sauce on top's hard to beat. Maybe that's how you rank it then. If it can't stand on its own, then it's overrated. <laughs> that's probably that's probably a pretty fair way to look at it. <laughs> All right, so you were down here in Vegas. It was Nevada took over Vegas last week, and a ton of fun. I imagine that was probably a unique opportunity. You mentioned got to see some some of your Michigan State buddies, but for you to rub elbows and get some FaceTime with with the fan base and, and the boosters, is there any truth to that? Absolutely, I I go to Las Vegas every chance I can because that's uh, other than Northern Nevada, uh, our our largest alumni population is in Southern Nevada, is in Las Vegas area. Yeah. And so anytime our teams are playing down there, I try to get down there and, and spend a day or spend some extra time down there visiting with our, our friends down there, alumni and donors, people that support our programs. And we do have a lot of good people down in Las mm-hmm. Vegas that, that support the heck out of our teams. And, and so we try to spend time. So yeah, of course you're down there for, um, you know, three straight days of, of, uh, Wolfpack athletic events and, a lot of people were at those basketball games and a lot of people were at the football games. So it was yeah. a lot of fun to, to see all those people and connect with all those people again. And, and you know what? I'll be down there again in January. I'll be down again again in March when we play UNLV in basketball and, and then for the Mountain West tournament. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I try to spend as much time as possible with our alumni, with our donors and thank them because they do a lot for us and make everything we do possible. So, uh, it was great to see all the Wolfpack friend, friends and family down there. It's great. Yeah. For sure. Uh, something that you do routinely, I haven't seen as much lately, are you, is your game day morning runs. And you, <laughs> and you shared on Twitter. How, how did that start and have you gotten away from that? I have not gotten away from okay. that. That was, okay. uh, tradi- tradition. I talk about tradition. Like I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for tradition, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> I started doing that when I was at Michigan State. And, uh, that's cold. so that's, well, yeah, I mean, every time, every time you go to a, a college campus, you're there for a football game and, a lot of times the games aren't till late in the afternoon and or in the or in the mountain and Pacific time zones in the evening, and uh, so you have a whole day, a yeah. whole day on Saturday to either sit in the hotel or get out of the hotel and go do something. So I just started doing these runs and and I normally run from the team hotel to the university campus, so, you know the, the the or wherever the stadium is, run to the stadium and sure. do a lap around the stadium or do a lap around the college, the campus and just do. I'm kind of like a tourist. I mean, it's like I'm running pretty pretty slow. I'm not. It's, it's more of a jog than a run, but it's a jog. And uh, and I go around the, the the campus and do some sightseeing and check out their facilities and visit the rec center, or visit the whatever it may be. Um, and it's a it's a long slow jog and it's a lot of fun. And I started doing that just to kill time. So I got mm-hmm. to sit in the hotel all day long and and uh, boy, it's probably two or three years at Michigan State, uh, six. Yeah, sorry, eight years at Utah and now six football seasons here at Nevada. So it's, uh, boy, you add that all up. That's a lot of years. That's a long standing tradition. Yeah. 
It is. It's been fun. And now people are kind of catching on to it. So people are like, you know, I, I see him, I see him at the game and they go, Hey, did you run today? And I go, yeah, I did. You know, like, didn't see my Twitter picture. Um, you know, so it's been kind of a fun thing. And, and I, there's some really challenging runs and some really fun runs and there's some good memories. And, and I, you know, yeah. I started, now I'm starting to run. I've got a couple of running partners that go with me now on, on road trips. So yeah. it's, uh, it's even, it's even more fun now to go with someone else rather than just, uh, you know, trekking around by myself. So at the schools that you're at routinely, I'm more more or less the Mount West schools. Do you do the same run every time, or do you mix it up? <laughs> it depends. I so I've been to I've been to Hawaii three times, and the first two times I did, you know, the where we stayed downtown, we stay in Waikiki, and the the stadium, Aloha Stadium, is way too far away. <laughs> so I so I just did I just ran from uh, you know the hotel up to top of Diamond Head and ran back, and it's probably a eight mile run. I don't even know, but wow. it's, you know, it's, pr- it's pretty good elevation change when you, when you run up the side of a mountain yeah. and then turn around and run back down the mountain. And then, oh, oh, by the way, you know, three miles back to, uh, back to the hotel. And, and that was pretty fun. I've done that a couple of times, but then this year I decided I would do, I'd go all in and I didn't train for it and I wasn't really prepared for it, but <laughs> I, I kind of, I, it was kind of like, uh, I, f- I finally had the guts to try it, you know, the courage to try it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to run to the Aloha stadium and back. And didn't really tell anyone and woke up Saturday, <laughs> woke up Saturday morning. Of course, it's, you know, 80 degrees and humid there. And, and, uh, so it's 11.2 miles from our hotel to the stadium and wow. 11, 11.2 miles back. So I ended up doing, uh, like 22.6 miles that day. A marathon, that was, basically. That was not smart. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. I, it was like an accomplishment. You know? Yeah. Like anything else, anything else in life, you set a goal for yourself and, and you work hard, strive to try to achieve and have an accomplishment. So I did it, and I probably won't do it again. So. <laughs> well, it's a good thing it was a night game. <laughs> exactly. I, I, that's true. I, there's some truth that I had a lot of time to rehydrate and feed my body and rest. Sure. So, so you, so you do your your game day runs. I mean, everyone knows Doug Newt from University of Nevada being the athletic director. But what are you doing when you're not athletic directing? You know, there's not a whole lot of time for much else. Uh, I would imagine I, so, yeah. I, I, I love what I do. It's, you know, they always say it's more of a lifestyle than a job and it's, it's absolutely 100% true. I mean, I, you know, wake up early in the morning and I work out. Uh, I'm a health freak. I'm a nut, uh, health nut. So I, I work out pretty hard early in the morning, 4.30 to about 6 and then, uh, well, that's get ready. Too, that's too early for me. <laughs> yeah, but it's the only time I have. Otherwise, uh, you know, kids yeah. are awake and, Chasing kids around and getting them ready for school, and then sure. I'm off to the then I'm off to the office, and I work till you know I get home at six or six thirty at night, and that's when we don't have games, and then we do have games and travel and everything else. Yeah. It's hard, so yeah, so it's my it's my job is my life, and I love it. I wouldn't yeah. have it any other way. Like I yeah. love what I do, and it's paying off for you. I mean, you you look at the athletic department as a whole. Football Saturday was a bummer, but as a collective, this season was a huge success, and they're still going to go to a bowl game. Got that ahead. Baseball coming off a Mountain West regular season title. Softball's improving. Swimming dive doing its thing. Women's hoops with Amanda Levins. Men's hoops, obviously. Do you, do you ever take time to pat yourself on the back and be like, man, I'm doing a really good job right now? No, never. Because <laughs> there's, there's just so much to do. I and mean, we're so far behind as an athletic program just in terms of our facilities and our budgets. And there is so much to do. And that's good. That's job security for me. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully, I, hopefully I keep checking things off the list and getting things done. But you know, the, the, the one thing I do think about often, and I think it's, um, 
you know, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, and it's going to sound cliche when I say it, but there's a lot of truth is, is I love, I love the people I work with. Like I love, you just mentioned all those coaches, TJ Bruce and yeah. Zay Norvell and Amanda Levins and Josh Taylor and Lee Nelson and you name it, go right down the line. Obviously coach Mossy, like, like those are all incredible people and mm-hmm. it's just fun to go to work every day and, and try to figure out ways to make their lives better and make, give them the resources they need to be successful. And, um, that's, that's, what's fun about my job. I don't necessarily think about wins and losses as much as I think about, uh, hiring and, and trying to retain really, really yeah. good people. And, and hopefully they have the resources they need and the assistant coaches they need, and, you know, to win a lot of ball games. And then yeah. that makes it all come together. It makes it fun. It makes it fun for me. I mean, I, one of the hardest things in the world is working in the athletic department. That's not winning. You know, that's just, yeah, kind of. It's kind of dreary to go to work every day. It's kind of like another. It's like another rainy day. You know, it's every day is a rainy day, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just. A, but when your teams are winning, and your fans are excited, and donors are excited, and people in the community are excited and positive, like, uh, that's pretty special. Yeah. That's pretty fun, and that's that's sort of what we have going now. And I I think we're really just scratching the surface. I think we're just getting started on some of this. And you know, you talked about softball and women's basketball, and those are two emerging sports for us, which I think in the next couple of years. Uh, we should be in the hunt for conference championships and not saying we're going to win, but one of the great things about college sports is when you put your teams in a position, mm-hmm. uh, to, to compete for a championship, you know, you're first, second, third, fourth in the league and you're within a couple of games of being in first place. And like every game matters, every possession matters, everything matters. And it's like the, the coaches and the athletes and the team get ultra focused and get yeah. ult and just, just super dialed in on preparing for the next game and competing so hard from the tip of the ball to the end of the game with the last buzzer, whatever the sport is mm-hmm. like, like that's cool. And I want every one of our teams, every one of our coaches, every one of our athletes to experience that every year to be in the hunt. Like that is the coolest thing for every sport. So yeah. uh, that's, that's the dream and that's what we're building towards. You listed all, all the coaches who are doing an amazing job and they got to be put in that position, obviously. So, when you're going through the hiring process, I guess one, would you say hiring is the most important thing you do? And two, what are you looking for in that process? Cause whatever you're looking for, you clearly have an eye for it. Yeah. Well, in, in any organization and this it could be a corporate, it could be an athletics, it could be whatever you want is you have to understand who you are. First of all, you have to understand, you know, kind of, kind of what wins, what works. And mm-hmm. if you can figure, if you can figure that out, then you got a better chance of finding it every time you have to go look for it. And it doesn't matter if you're working, looking for a swim coach or a basketball coach or football coach or a softball coach. If you, if you know what the ingredients are, you have a better chance of going and finding them and, and getting the right people on board. And, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that and, and, and identifying what it takes to be successful here. And it's, it's kind of three things. And I've, I've not ever, this is not like a secret. This is, mm-hmm. I've, I've talked about this openly. I, um, Cause it's, it's, it's a secret for us that this, these three things may not work at Fresno State or at Wyoming or at UNLV or wherever. Sure. There are, there are things. And so, uh, but one is I, I, we have to hire coaches that are, um, incredible recruiters and, and everyone's, everyone kind of smiles and go, well, yeah, every, every school needs good recruiters, of course. And I go, well, it, it's, there's a nuance to it, right? And the nuance yes. is what you really need to know is, we, we very rarely hear coach Moss has changed it a little bit, but we very rarely hear get, you know, four star athletes or better four star mm-hmm. or five star athletes, blue chip kids. Yeah. Um, we, we get kids that, 
coaches um, are really, really good at projecting future talent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have to have coaches in every sport that look at a kid and say, wow, um, you know, she's five foot five right now, but her dad's six four and her mom's five ten and her sister's five eleven. You know, she's five four and she's got really good basketball skills, but she's going to grow. Yeah. She's just a late, she's just a late bloomer. She has to grow because look at her family, you know. Uh, and, and I'm not, you know, who knows if she's really going to grow or not, but you're, 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 you're taking a pretty safe bet that, yeah. that, that kid who's five foot four junior year in high school is going to be five ten someday. Um, and then we, we also, re, you know, we recruit kids that play multiple sports and you say like, wow, that, you know, that young woman plays volleyball and basketball. And, you know, if she gives up basketball and plays just college volleyball, holy cow, watch out because she's an amazing athlete. Um, you know, has all the skill sets and she, if she just trained and just practiced volleyball all the time, she'd be amazing and she'll be an all conference kid in volleyball. Sure. Those are the kind of kids we have to have coaches that know how to identify and predict future talent. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's really hard to do. The second thing is because our kids that come here are sometimes underdeveloped or late bloomers or raw talent. Um, we have to have coaches that are amazing at talent. Uh, we call player development, right? Yeah. Uh, at teaching the skill, at teaching the sport. And you have to be renowned for that. You have to be known for being a great teacher of your sport. And because you're, you're not going to get kids who are ready made, you're not going to get the five star, you know, blue chip kids. You're going to get kids that have to develop. And, and, uh, so, yeah. and then the third thing is really simple for us. We're a small community. Uh, we're a self reliant community, meaning, uh, our fan base is mostly here mm-hmm. and, we rely so heavily on our, on our community that we have to have coaches that are incredible at, um, interacting with the community, at engaging the community and asking for support. And yeah. support might mean come to my games. Support might mean donate to our booster club. Support might mean whatever. Um, but you have to have coaches who love, not like who love going to the rotary clubs, going to the law firms, going yep. to the schools <laughs> and, and talking and being public and being involved in the community because uh, the community is not going to support you if you don't support them too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we look for coaches who are, uh, you know, not good at that, but great at that and who yeah. love being public and who love being out. Cause, cause there are a lot of really, really good coaches out there. I know a lot of them uh, that are incredible at the X's and O's. They're incredible at breaking down tape. They're incredible at watching film all day long and they can't stand going to do public <laughs> appearances. Like they just don't like it and they're not yep. good at it and they don't want to be there. Well, those kind of people wouldn't fit here. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyways, that's, that's my deal. That makes sense. And yeah. one, one of the areas we see a big difference with that is the football program. Jane Ravel, you see him embracing that. I think just. Taking a step back and looking, I think he's easy to root for because he is so engaging with the community and is involved with the community. So Saturday was a bummer, but as a whole, you look at the season seven and five. They were contention for a division title there for a couple weeks. What are your thoughts collectively on on the football season? Yeah, well, first of all, the person. I mean, Coach Norvell, as you said, he's just a unique and genuine. Good human being. And, and people told me that when we were recruiting and looking for a coach, they told me that he was, you know, they, they all said the same thing, which was he's an incredible character man. He's got great integrity as a good family man. His players love him, not like him, but love him. And, uh, and that's exactly what we've seen in, in two years. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, he's been tremendous. And so, um, th- this year wasn't a surprise and people that are close to the program, people that are, you know, saw how hard, um, the players worked in the weight room in the off season, see how hard they practice throughout, uh, 
you know, spring ball, fall camp and into the season uh, who know, paid attention to recruiting and who know the young men, the character and quality, the young men that coach has been recruiting. Like we all expected that there would be, there'd be a jump from a three and nine season. Mm-hmm. I I had no clue and I wasn't willing to make any predictions. I'm not very good at predictions to say like, <laughs> are we going to win six games, seven games, eight games or 12? I don't even know. Um, but I knew we would see improvement every single week because I just knew the work that was going into it and, and the way Jay coaches and teaches it, uh, there was no question that we were going to have improvement. And like I said, you know, who knows if we're going to get five to six, seven, eight wins, but, yeah. um, boy, we all thought there, we were hopeful for it. And, yeah. and, and, you know, like in the sport of football, things have to, have to bounce your way and you have to avoid the injuries. You have to avoid major injuries. Uh, you have to, you know, have a team, uh, miss a field goal at the end of the game. You have to, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have those things sometimes to, to get to seven or eight wins and, you know, we're not, uh, we're not a huge budget program. We're not a huge where, you know, we're going to have all the bells and whistles that other teams don't have. And not yet, you know, at we're least. Pro- we're probably not going to blow people off the ball every single week. So you have to have a coach who's gritty and that's like, you know, favorite word. Uh, not a grit. You know, yeah. you know who's, who's going to, who's going to work hard and grind through all the toughness because there's a lot of adversity to be a head coach at, at Nevada. There's a lot of challenges and, uh, Jay and his staff and those players have done a heck of a job this year. Yeah, time goes into it, no question. So, what what does a bowl berth mean for the athletic department? I ma- imagine it's got to be a huge boost. It is. I think uh, you know it's one of those things when when fans, you know, ticket buyers, look at a program and they say you oh you've gone to a bowl two years, three years, four years in a row in a row, they just instantly connect that with you must be a good team must be fun to watch must be a good you know right a winning a winning program and that translates into butts and seats and ticket sales and um you know so that's what we've got to do we've got to get into a position where where coach you know norvell is you know two three four years in a row in bowl games and i think when we do that that helps us build build the fan base back up that build the ticket sales and when you have football winning consistently that those ticket sales that fan base helps support that, that revenue goes in to support the entire athletic program. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're not there yet. I mean, attendance has been, been kind of lagging the last couple of years because we haven't been consistent winners. And yeah. there's no secret again. Like there's no, like I'm not, I'm not telling <laughs> any, anything that, that any fan on the street couldn't tell you. Like, you know, the athletic director is supposed to know something no one else knows. Well, that's not true. Um, that's, that's just the way it is. We've got to be, you know, six, seven, eight game winners every year consistently. And our fans and our community will get behind it because then they go, all right, well, we're a winning program. We expect to win. It's fun to go to games and see, you know, yeah. see our team win and, and it'll come back. So that's, that's the impact of a bowl. And again, yeah. seven and five is great. Eight and four would have been better. Um, but you know, going to a bowl is pretty special yeah. for us and, and, uh, we're excited about it. And hopefully we get back to it again next year and the year after that and the year after that. Yeah, no question. Certainly feels like uh, Jay's on the right track. You, you mentioned attendance, and we got to hit on it a little bit here. So you, you mentioned you got to win football games. I mean, that ultimately is how people come out to games, and it certainly feels like the program's trending in that direction. So other than putting a good product on the field, is there anything else the department can do or is planning on doing next year to maybe try to change some of those numbers? Yeah, well, I think I think the fan experience is a big deal. Um, you know, winning, winning is first and foremost, you know, if you, if you rank the top 10 things you got to do, winning is like one through five. Yeah. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta win first, you gotta win second, you gotta win third, fourth, fifth. But number six is some kind of, you gotta have good fan experience. It's gotta be fun to go to games. Yeah. And that's part of that's tailgating. 
part of that is, uh, you know, the, the video board and the, the in-game show, you know, the show mm-hmm. around the actual football game has to be fun. And, you know, what was it, three years ago now, we, we put in chairback seats in the stadium. We put in a new video board, a new sound system. And I think all that goes to making it feel like a fun environment, a fun atmosphere to be at games. When you have an old video board and you can't really see it and you have an old sound system and you can't really hear it, understand it, and you have no restrooms, all your restrooms are all porta potties. It just feels like, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think we made some changes three years ago and that, that helped us. Uh, winning ball games will certainly help us. And, and then we're always thinking and talking about ways to make the game experience even better. And, you know, I've got to look at this off season, what we can do in tailgating, what we can do to make, you know, the full game experience better, not just the three hours that you're sitting in Mackey Stadium, but, yeah. But, you know, people that come early and they want to spend time with their families and, you know, uh, be out in the parking lots and having some fun. That that's there's nothing better than college football game experience like the game itself is cool. But college football is so special because people come and you spend the day on your campus and at your alma mater. And, you you know, it's just it's and we have a beautiful campus. We should be showing it off like, holy cow, like what a great, beautiful campus. Let's figure out a way to make tailgating more important and more fun for people. So they do uh, do want to come back. Yeah. All right, let's transition to, to hoops real quick here. The new polls came out today. The basketball program is ranked fifth in the country. How bonkers is that to you, or are you now able to get your mind around that? Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's still early. I mean, I, I love – I mean, Coach Must, there's a lot of respect for him. There's a lot of respect for Jordan Caroline, Cody, and Caleb Martin. Uh, people saw what they were capable of doing, and, and we started the ranking very high. We started off with seven or eight or nine, I can't remember, uh, preseason ranking. And as long as you keep winning and other people around you lose, we'll, we'll either maintain go. or continue to grow. Yeah, we'll continue to get better because uh, especially with the with the schedule we have coming up, boy, if we beat Arizona State uh, in a neutral site and uh, you know Grand Canyon and USC – you know, if we win those games, then that validates some of that top five kind of conversation. So if yep. you do continue to win and someone above you loses, then people go like, wow, they beat USC on the road and they beat uh, Arizona State neutral and they beat uh, Grand Canyon, which is really a tough team to play, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat them on the on the road in a neutral neutral but sort of home environment. Sure. Um, you know, boy, these, this is a legit team. This is a real deal. And, and they maybe do have the best coach in America. Um, you know, so – that that's you just got to keep winning and yeah. if you and if you lose you drop back and and eventually by the end of the season you figure out like what your real true ranking is and sure. and after you've played 30 games you figure out what the real true ranking is if we end up at the end of the year at 10 or 12 that's a pretty darn special year if we end mm-hmm. up the year end up of the year and ranked fourth in the country that's just an amazing as you said mind-blowing kind of thing <laughs> um but but you won't know until after you play 30 games yep and and there's some really tough heads up. Uh, just warning you for all the Wolfpack fans, you know, watch out for New Mexico, watch out for UNLV, watch out for San Diego State, Boise State. There's some really good teams in our conference. Oh, Utah, Utah State. State. Yeah, they've been Utah State. Yeah, watch out for them. There's some really good teams in our conference. And, and just talking to some of the national pundits and national people the last couple of weeks, you know, they're all looking at the Mountain West Conference as, as really a resurgent, big time basketball conference right now because they know what Muss is doing. They see what Utah State, they know about San Diego State, they know about New Mexico. And they're looking at us like, whoa, 
Like you guys are good on the top, and oh by the way, you have some depth now. Um, you know, the bottom end is is weak, but mm-hmm. you know, you guys you guys look like a real big time basketball conference now. And and I'm saying, well, yeah, that's good. We we weren't <laughs> that way three years ago. Yeah, but but boy, now we're looking and, and people are talking about us as a multi bid league now, um, which is fantastic for our conference, but yes. really really great for our for our basketball team and for our revenue streams. How different is your job or, or your life, I should say, when Nevada's in, in this position with the basketball program? Does it change much? You know, it, it doesn't change that much. Uh, there, there's more, um, there's more pressure. Like I feel more pressure at home games now. You know, when you have 10, 10,000, 10,500 people in the arena every night. Yeah. Um, like I want to put on a great show. I want those people to walk away thinking like, wow, that was so much fun. How do I get tickets for the next game or, I can't wait for the next home game. Um, you know, when there's 3000 people in the arena, you're just hoping to win the game because, yeah. you know, you want, you want to build and you want people to get excited. So more than anything, you're hoping your team wins. You're not really thinking about parking. You're not really thinking about concessions. You're not thinking about who the national anthem singer is or who the halftime performer is. Like yep. you're sort of, you're sort of like, that's so secondary. The, the most important thing is please win this game tonight so that. Instead of three thousand people here, we can get four thousand people the next game, and then and then let's win that game. So maybe there'll be forty five hundred the next game, and you can kind of build it. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's like um, I, I'm so I'm stressed out at games because I'm so worried that our our entertainment value is not good enough, and I people are going to say like, well, you know, it's fun to watch the game, but boy, that enter, that halftime singer was terrible, or that halftime performance, <laughs> you know, like it's so I'm stressed out about kind of the the side things now rather than who you know whether we're going to win or not so, you know what people different. you know what people would love to see or who they would love to see sing the national anthem is that doug newth there's not a chance in the <laughs> world like there's not a chance i would i i can't sing i can't dance i'm very self-aware i would never put myself in that position or anyone else in the building in that position fair enough fair enough so during games do you do how do you divide your time between watching the game and shaking hands, talking to people. You know, I, I shoot. I or does it depend? I tell people. In, I, I tell people in football. I watch maybe two, two series, like two. Uh, you know, the entire game. That's it. I wow. hardly ever watch the football game. Um, I'm talking to people constantly. I'm watching our staff. I'm watching uh, fans. Like just how things are working at concessions. What are the lines like? How are things are working at the gate? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the lines like? I'm watching the show. Like I'm watching the video board. I'm watching the band, the cheer, like how everyone's inter- engaging and entertaining to make sure it's going. And the same thing in basketball. Like, it, you know, basketball is a smaller venue, so I'm in it. I'm right in the middle of it, so I'm watching a little more basketball probably, right. but I'm still watching the scoreboard to make sure the stats are right, to sideline people to make sure the ushers and stuff are paying attention, security are paying attention. You know, I'm, I'm like stressed out about our student section, about their <laughs> – you know, some of their some of their words and their chanting is and maybe that makes me cringe a little bit. You know, <laughs> you know, but I'm thinking about all those things constantly about how we can continue to make it better every single game. And I and I literally am taking notes during the game. And you know, our our deputy AD Rory Hickok, who is the best in the entire world. Uh, you know, he and I text or he and I talk probably two or three or four times uh, each half of a basketball game about things we could do next time, things we should do better. Have we thought about this? Have we done this? Like every single game, you know, I have a list of things before halftime wow. of what, what we could do better now. And and so I I couldn't tell you if uh, if, if Cody had uh, 
you know, 10 assists and Caleb had 25 points. I couldn't tell you, but I, <laughs> I could tell you, um, what happened on the sideline or if the scoreboard is wrong, if the statistics were wrong, if, if the <laughs> halftime show was good or bad or whatever. I could tell you all that stuff though, cause it stresses me out. It's, it's so crazy because people, that's just, you wouldn't think about that. Athletic director, so cool, involved with sports, and there's just so much that goes into it behind the scenes that people wouldn't think about. Yeah, it's hard because cause even, gosh, when I was at Utah or Michigan State, one, one of my friends and I were, were chatting about this, this lifestyle that we live and, um, you know, it's, uh, I was telling him how, you know, I'm not, I'm not as big of a fan. Like he's a big time fan and he knows all the players in the history and he knows, mm-hmm everything about college basketball or football. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know all that stuff. I'm not a, I'm not a big enough fan, I guess, to be an athletic director. And, uh, and he said, no, you're not. You're like, you, you don't even care who wins the game half the time. And I go, well, that's not true. I want, I want our team to win every single game because that helps us sell more tickets and it helps us drive the business side of it. Yeah. Cause I've been, I've been a business person my entire life. Uh, every, every, an entrepreneur ever since I was a kid, and, uh, you know, business major in college and MBA, uh, grad, you know, grad student. And, mm-hmm. and like, I, I've always thought business and I've always thought HR, I've always thought management and leadership and, and, and I'm so lucky, gosh, I'm so lucky to be able to apply all that lessons, all those lessons in my life, leadership and management and stuff to college sports. And yeah. that's like, that's a really nice that, I mean, I could be working for a pharmaceutical company and I'd probably have some, had some level of success, but that wouldn't be nearly as much fun as being able to go to basketball games and football games and swim meets and tennis matches, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And your philosophy is clearly working. Uh, Doug, last week when I had Chad Hartley on, I asked him what was the best way to support athletic departments. I'll ask you the same question. What's the, the best way that people listening can support what you guys are doing over there? Well, the best way is any way. Any way you can help. We, <laughs> we need it. We need it. Uh, I tell people all the time, I'm not asking for your help because we want it. I ask for people's help because we need it. We're... We're the 11th largest budget in our conference, and I would say it that way. There's 12 schools in our conference. Uh, I never say we're the second smallest, but we're the 11th largest budget in our conference. <laughs> and, um, you know, for us to, to have success, for us to sustain success, uh, we've got to have people buying season tickets. We've got to have people coming to games. We've got to have people donating to the booster clubs. We have to have people donate to the PAC Educational Fund, which helps support all teams. You know, so any way you can help is the best way for you to help. I and mean, that's just that simple. And, uh, if people want to get involved and come to a game, you buy tickets and come to a game, that helps us. If you mm-hmm. want to buy season tickets, that helps us more. If you want to buy season tickets and donate to the, to the team's booster club, like that's amazing. That just, that helps us in so many ways. There's a whole list of things that we need to do and ways for people to get involved. But, uh, the, the, the most, uh, General answer is anything people can do, anything they want to do, uh, will certainly help the Wolfpack, and we appreciate it greatly. Fair enough. And, Doug, I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you did not – so this is going to air on Wednesday. So after the Little Chicago game, hopefully you're celebrating a win tomorrow night. But safe travels the rest of the season, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome to have Doug on the show. Really appreciate him coming on. Nevada coming off a big win against Loyola, the Hoops program. Now got another big game on Saturday at 1.30 p.m. Not on Fox Sports 1. Not on Fox Sports 2. Not on Fox the Ocho. Fox. Straight up Fox. National television, 1.30 tip at USC on the road against a Pac-12 
program. I mentioned at the top, it's in the middle of Championship Saturday, Conference Championship Saturday, so it's going to be Saturday's going to be a fun, <laughs> fun sports day. It's Game Two of a massive four-game stretch for for this program at Loyola on Tuesday, at USC on Saturday, uh, versus Arizona State in LA. Arizona State's been nice so far this year, and then at Grand Canyon, bro. What is something we need to know about the Trojans? So, Pac-12 basketball in recent years has been struggling, but it's kind of on the up and up. They got some teams doing all right. I mean, well, they're struggling in their own perspective, but it's better. Uh, so, look at the Trojans. They got two losses so far on the record, but both of them aren't to two bad teams. They lost to Vanderbilt, and they're five and one, and Texas Tech six and zero. Oh. So, even though you got a team with early two losses, it may not, you know, look as well. But I mean, I, I still would argue to say that those are two decent losses. Like you're not losing to like you said, a North right. Texas. Yeah, they're they're four and two. They're playing tonight. So by the time this is published, and some people listening to it, USC is either wrapping up or um, just finished playing Long Beach State. You'd figure that one's going to be a dub. Uh, USC mm-hmm. was picked to finish fifth in the Pac-12, but as you mentioned, both those losses. Those are the only two games they've played against high majors, though. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Um, I was, I w- yeah, they were a little softer on some other games. Yeah, so it hasn't been necessarily impressive. The the Vandy loss was at home. That was by four. They lost to Texas Tech by 15 in Kansas City. Ken Palm has USC at number 57. And the net, which was highly scrutinized, highly scrutinized, and that thing made its debut. Uh, what the hell is that about? May I raise a question? What do you got? Can anyone explain that thing? Because I just saw it randomly and I'm like, what is this? Why is Ohio State number one? And I, I feel like I was not briefed. Or I don't know if I just missed the, bu- <laughs> I just missed the seminar when everybody got briefed on what this net ranking is. So you don't, you don't know what it is at all? No, I don't know. I just, okay. I just randomly saw it because I can't keep up. I wasn't able to keep up with the news or the, apparently these updates that are just major basketball updates now. So the NCAA was tired of people ripping on the RPI. Okay. And this is their, this is what's replacing the RPI in the NCAA's eyes. Um, it's not the end all be all. It's okay. not what determines seating. It is a factor in determining at large bids and seating and all that fun stuff. So it's basically a, re- a replacement or an addition to the RPI. Okay. That said, I don't know why they put it out there so early. Because with such a small sample size, you'd figure you're going to have some weird things going on. Oh, like 100%. Ohio State number one, like Loyola Marymount number 10, like uh, I just Kentucky was like number 60 or something like that. Yeah, I almost think it was just like released, in my opinion, like cause a stir to get people talking about, you know, get people jazzed up on it. But when I was thinking in that way, I was like, this does not make sense. There was no... Like I said, I don't know if there are many people like me that just missed the briefing on this and all of a sudden now we're seeing Ohio State, you know, being top of the country of this. No, it's been out there for a while, but it, it, it was not a good look, the, the initial rankings. Okay. It went. So I, I don't want to trash it yet. I don't want to say it's stupid, but the NCA put it, itself in a position for everyone to trash it by putting out initial ranking so early. When mm-hmm. they, when they said they're going to put out the, this net, the NCA evaluation tool, I was curious to see, like, I looked after, like, Nevada's first three games and they hadn't released it yet. And now I know why they didn't. <laughs> yeah. 
and it's it just doesn't look good. So I, I'll, I'll give it a chance, but not a strong start for that thing. So you just want, you just want to see it get more solidified and kind of representative yeah, I, I, of I, actually what? I think as the teams play more games, then it will probably factor in. It'll, it'll mm-hmm. be more appropriate. I should okay. say there were some things like with more analytical rankings, you factor in things like strength of opponent and margin of victory and that sort of thing. One of the flaws with this thing, I think, is it tops out margin of victory at 10 points. So if, mm-hmm. if you beat a team by 30 and you beat a team by 11, this tool sees those wins as identical, which I think mm. is stupid. Yeah, but, that's but, weird. That's weird. But anyway, USC take make of it what you will is 90. Okay. In, in in this net. Nevada was 13, I believe. Okay. All right, there's a quick lesson for everybody. Moving on. There you go. What what else you got on USC? Uh just I saw their stud player, this Benny Boatwright forward. I mean, right now he's averaging almost 18 points a game, 6 rebounds. He's shooting 57% uh, field goal, 71% on the free th- from the line. So, I mean, he's pretty much shooting, I mean, shooting very well to start the season. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did think it was funny because when I first saw this stat, I was like, I was like, holy crap, this guy could shoot threes too. And then I looked at, he's got like less than 10 attempts, but he's, he's shooting 50, almost 57% from three. No, he shot 23. It was 23. I was looking at 23. Uh, okay. Maybe what I was looking at in ESPN was something a little different, but you gotta be careful yeah. with the basketball stats because different, different sites. D- aren't aren't up to date. Even sometimes, the, mm. even, sometimes even the school one isn't up to date, and you got to go find it elsewhere. That is surprising. The ESPN is not up with it. One of the things that jumped out to me, or jumps out to me, about this USC team, Nevada has had a, a noticeable size advantage in pretty much every game it's played this year. That will not be the case on Saturday. USC does have the size to match Nevada. I don't know if it has the depth, but you look. You mentioned. Uh, Benny Boatwright, he's been probably one of their better players to start the year. He's been coming off the bench, though. And mm. he's 6'10", 235, big boy. He's been coming off the he bench. The, he has the most minutes, too. Yeah, he's been coming off the bench for him. 18-6, and six, mm. 13 and 23 from deep, 57%. So he he can extend the floor. They also have junior forward Nick Rakasevich, 6'11", 225. He's a double-double guy, 14-12. and 12, He's been averaging, has 70 boards on the year. No one else on USC's roster has more than 25. So <laughs> he, he is their rebounder. He also has 17 blocks. Um, and, and that loss to Vanderbilt this year, he had 18 rebounds. <laughs> so, so they got a 6'11 and 6'10 dude who, who will match up with a Trey Porter, who will match up with a Trey Sean Thurman. I don't know. This is a, with, with that size and, and that experience, that's a junior and a senior. I don't know if, if we'll see Jordan Brown at all in this one. So that'll be something else. To keep an eye on. What else did you you see about USC? Well, we kind of talked about how Nevada's got a tough stretch ahead. I mean, USC stretch isn't much easier. I mean, they're playing tonight against Long Beach. Then they got us in a couple days. Then they go play uh, TCU, who's four and one. Then they got to go play at Oklahoma, who's five and one. And I mean, obviously, we're not talking going to play Duke or North Carolina, but by no means that's not going to be an easy stretch for them either. Right. But so, so in other words, I mean, that they're going to be putting a lot. I mean. Obviously, this is going to be the Super Bowl for everybody that, who plays Nevada this year. Maybe not uh, USC though. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. But I mean, I'd argue you got number you got the number five team coming down to LA because we're playing. 
it's at Staples Center. Is that where it's at? No, it's at USC. It's a true road game. Oh, it's a true road game. Oh, Ari- Arizona somebody. State is at Staples Center. Oh, okay, I was getting those two mixed up. But yeah, I mean, it's still anytime you got the number five team coming from the country coming into your place, you're gonna be jacked up. I'll be curious to see if USC actually respects Nevada. If they look at the the number in front of the name, or if they just say, "Oh, it's Nevada," and pff, whatever. I'll be curious. Stomp, stomp them if they do. I'll be I'll be curious. USC is a good offensive team. They're fourth in the Pac-12 right now, averaging almost 82 points per game. They're third in the conference uh, with field goal percentage, almost 48 percent from game per 48 percent a game. There it is. Uh, they're third in three-point shooting, just short of 39. So they they can shoot it. This this is a good offensive team. Defensively, that's not been the case. Teams are shooting 35% from three. That's 11th in the Pac-12. They're allowing 30s, almost 37 rebounds a game. That's 11th in the Pac-12. They're giving up almost 76 points per game. That's dead last in in the Pac-12. They're creating just shy of 12 turnovers a game. That's 10th in the Pac-12. So as talented offensively as this team is, they've had their struggles on the defensive end to to start the year. Did you have another one? I said those three. The last thing I'll add is they have a freshman who was uh, one of the biggest recruits to that program in a number of years and is quickly, quickly – climbing up draft boards and people are saying now he's going to be a lottery pick that being freshman guard Kevin Porter Jr. He's a Seattle kid. It's beyond disappointing that we couldn't get him to stay home and, well, and South, play for South the Dodgers. South Rainier, right? Uh, South Rainier. I don't remember which one, but he's, uh-huh. he's from Seattle, but uh, he's already got an NBA frame, 6'6", 220. He can create his own shot. He can hit shots when he's open. He can throw down so him versus Caleb Martin is going to be a juicy, juicy matchup to watch on the perimeter. Who's your favorite player on the other roster? So I was a little nervous there that you were going to pick my guy. Uh, I went with the other guy from Seattle, Jerron Brooks, the for, uh, forward, 6'9", yeah. freshman. But he went to Garfield High, and what's kind of funny, now I remember why I said that because it was in my notes. But Brooks played or went to Garfield High, and they won the 3A title in 2018, but he played against Rainier Beach in the title game, and Kevin Porter Jr. was on that team. Right. But then the other part of it, too, was at that high at the high school, do you know who the head coach of Garfield is? It was Brandon Roy. Oh, did he get fired? Must I think heard. he left. Okay, so when he was in high school, though, Brandon Roy was the coach. They were 28-2 and two his senior year, finished number 11, in the country, and then they were invited to play in the, the Geico Nationals. So I thought that was a pretty cool Washington boy. Yeah, but pretty strong Seattle tie or connection on this USC team. And yeah, Brandon Roy uh, stepping aside this year, it sounds like he could come back. Okay. Yes, not the coach this year. Uh, so strong Seattle connection on this USC roster, a strong Nevada connection on this roster as well. So I didn't go with any one kid. I went with two kids um, with the Nevada ties. They got uh, redshirt junior Derek Thornton. He's a Finley prep kid. So in Henderson, our neck of the woods, uh, was a freshman at Duke. Then he transferred 
Um, scoring almost nine points per game, so he's a key player for them, but almost four turnovers game, so he's been a little liable to turn the ball over. They also have sophomore guard, sophomore guard Charles or, or, jeez, let me start that over. <laughs> Charles O'Bannon Jr., he was a Gorman kid, and yeah, his dad is that Charles O'Bannon, uh, O'Bannon. I'm struggling with that last name. Yeah. It's Charles O'Bannon. Tough, it's tough, not tough that night good. for you. It is a tough night for me. So I said something stupid. No, uh, his dad is that Charles O'Bannon started at UCLA, won a national title with UCLA, now suing the NCA for using his likeness and him not getting compensated for it. Nice. He only, he only played in 14 games last year though. Uh, O'Bannon Jr. did and has only played in one game so far this year. So, Highly touted kid out of Gorman hasn't connected for him yet for the Trojans. And then, as you mentioned, yeah, they got three kids from Seattle on the roster as well. That's annoying. Hopefully, Mike Hopkins can can change figure that, that here. Can figure that out. Keys to victory for Nevada in this one. What do you got? Yep. Emotional victories are more times than not followed by letdowns. I mean, you see mm. it a lot of times in sports. Especially after that, because you know that game meant a lot. You would have loved to see him beat him last year in the tournament. So, you know, it's regular, you know, it's an entry level pre conference game, you know, non conference opponent. So you could say what you want about it because it's not in the tournament this year, but. Do you say it was an entry level? Entry, did I say entry level? Yes. That's how tired I am. <laughs> entry level. I meant just like non conference opponent before the season started. Holy crap, my brain is <laughs> fried if I said entry level. I, I'll get I'll get more than four hours of sleep, everybody, for next for the next episode. <laughs> but so going back to that, it's kind of don't lose don't lose sight of the picture at, or you know the, the the task at hand. You just had a big yeah. win. You got to kind of turn the page now. Focus on USC. Yeah, I'm really looking at the defense in this one. I mentioned how impressed I was with the defense against Loyola Chicago, and it's hard it's hard not to be impressed with the defense after after that effort. But you go back to. <laughs> Pretty much the entire season before uh, the Loyola Chicago game, we've seen this team have some flaws defensively. Tulsa put up 86 on them. UMass scored 87. UMass did pretty much whatever. That was a not a lot of stops in that game. Mm-hmm. And USC can really score the basketball. They can shoot the ball from from deep. UMass was 15 to 36. That was mostly Luane Pipkins. Uh, Nevada has done a pretty good job defending the perimeter this year. Team shooting 29% from deep against Nevada. But I'm really looking at the defense. On the road again against a team with size down low, and they can shoot the ball. I'm just gonna go basic with the other ones. Keep the core going. You got Caleb, Cody, and Caroline all had great games last game. The team just—I mean, you can—it's obvious. It's—it's it's cliche to say with the squad, but they just gel better and they roll better when those guys are doing well. Yeah. Um. So you just need those guys to keep going, like you said earlier. USC maybe might not look at the number in front of Nevada. They may just look at Nevada and think, oh, Mountain West. So you're going to need those guys to kind of set the tone early that it's not just some random ranking that Nevada got lucky because they had so much offseason hype. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as those three go, this team goes. That's, mm-hmm. that, that's not a secret. I'm going to go away from those three though. And I'm going to say this is, a, this is an important game for Trey Porter now. We've seen him get into some foul trouble this year. We've seen him kind of go through some peaks and valleys, and that's not surprising. Someone who took a year off and now trying to find his his role on this team. And against Loyola Chicago, we we saw that thing really start to click for him on both ends. 
I mentioned I don't think we'll really see Jordan Brown at all in this game. USC has size down low, so Trey's not going to have a big size disparity now in this one. I'm really curious to see how he hangs down low against some of USC's mm-hmm. big boys. And it's I've said this already before, too. It, it's clearly going to be a different team when he's balling out. So I'm really looking at him to perform in really the first true, true test for him in a Nevada uniform. I got to make sure the last game wasn't an outlier. Yeah, don't want that to be a fluke. We'll keep that going. Mm-hmm. Do you got another one? No, I got those two. The last one I'll go with, according to Ken Palm right now, Nevada is number one in adjusted offense. Number one. We also mentioned USC's defense not great. Last night, Ken Palm had USC at number 92 in adjusted defense. You can tell me what that means. That's a big disparity. I really want to see Nevada take advantage of uh, in this one. I want to see the defense follow up against follow up the Lilly Chicago game with a strong effort. I want to see the offense continue to keep it going because there will be opportunities to score the basketball on Saturday for certain. Who do you like in this one? What's your pick? Of course, I'm still going Nevada. I got 86-72. Oh, you got a comfortable win. All seven of the wins have been double digits. They have. I'm saying, I'm saying keep it going. Let's go eight for eight. I think the the run of double digit victories, double digit point victories, is going to end on, sa- on Saturday. It's going to be a high scoring game. I don't. It's not the first true road test for this team because that Loyola Chicago game was. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the environment's going to be like on Saturday at USC. I would guess it's going to be pretty tame, especially compared to the Loyola Chicago game. There, there are better things to do in LA. <laughs> yeah. Then, then go watch a, a basketball game and just there's, there's the football too, stuff too, yeah, going say on. Yeah, there's too much, too much other stuff going on. Nevada is number five, but in turn, like when you're playing a power five on, on the road or a high major on the road, Nevada's just not going to be a huge draw. I mm-hmm. think it, it's fair to say fans at USC are much more looking forward to some conference games. Yeah. For the Trojans, unlike at Loyola Chicago, like that was a huge game for Loyola Chicago. That that game really meant more for them than it did for Nevada in terms of what the game actually means. Because mm-hmm. Loyola's going to have to win the the conference tournament now to get in the, in the NCAA tournament. Oh they're, yeah, they're not going to have opportunities to beat a team like a team ranked as highly as Nevada. Nevada's yeah. still in a good position to earn at large with some of the games it has in the Mountain West being a, just a, a stronger conference than, than the Missouri yeah. Valley. So that game meant more to Lewis Chicago, and that's why you saw students showing up at 2.30 in the afternoon. It's crazy. That that won't be the case on Saturday. I <laughs> That was my long way of saying I got Nevada 84, USC 82. All right, close one. So I got, I got it being a close game. ESPN's BPI has it basically 60-40 in favor of Nevada. In favor of Nevada to win? Yeah. Mm. And this would be where we usually get into the betting angle, but you said there's no line out yet. Yeah, I checked on all my websites and on the ESPN app, and every I looked on the. I mean, it's just because the game's on the first for three days out. Yeah, it's. I mean, they can sometimes they'll have them the night before mm-hmm. or the day before, but yeah, I think it's too many days too far in advance. You got to guess what the line's gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna say Nevada minus. Five and a half. Wow. I was going to say exactly five and a half. You were? <laughs> would, 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 be, would be my guess as well. And I think that's about where it was for the Loyola Chicago game. 
I saw that it got it was up at about seven, and then people were hammering Loyola Chicago, and I think it got down to four and a half or five at tip or something. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong way. Those who had uh, Nevada minus four, feeling pretty nice, pretty comfortable that that entire game. But those are the best bets, the absolute it's, best. It's so nice when your team just just cruises, race, just races the other team, and all, you're basically just waiting for the time to expire. Yeah. Just just no stress. However, there is no such thing as a bet without stress. Your mind goes to some dark places. <laughs> you you start thinking. The worst part is like, say you're covering by like three possessions in football. You're up, you know, twenty one plus or whatever. And there's two minutes left, and the other team has the ball. You're still like, you're going nuts. They can, do, they can do this, that, and the other. Like you're thinking of all worst, worst case, you know, worst possible cases. Like they're gonna get two onside kicks. And yep. Well, those who had those who had Nevada minus four when it got down to, I think it got down to twelve. So then mm-hmm. it's at eight. That's only three possessions. You're like, no, 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 no. Like, no. <laughs> don't do this to me. Yeah. So we we both got are gonna guess five and a half on the spread. Okay, let's jump into some slants. We're going to start with an oldie but a goodie, and we'll use this one several times throughout the basketball season. Wow, San Jose State is bad. Spartans are 1-5. and five. Their one win is against Life Pacific. You tell me what Life Pacific is. I have no idea. Some of their losses, Santa Clara at home, Central Michigan at home, Cal State Bakersfield at home, Weber State on the road, and Southern Utah at home. I should say a lot of those losses were by were close by I think one of those losses was even by one point, a few of them by four four or five, so they're hanging around, but no part no participation trophies on this podcast. That's what I'm saying. Ken Palm has San Jose State at three twenty two. Woof. They got they got Indiana State at home tonight, so pretty strong chance for me one and six by the time a lot of you guys listen to this. Odds are in that favor. Games of the weekend. Oh, you start. What do you got for for college? For NFL, oh, for college. So I mean, obviously, just because it's conference championship weekend, and everything. There's so many. There's uh, a lot of entertaining games. So I mean, I could just say the Big Twelve championship, Big Ten championship. You know, list them all. But mm-hmm. the ones particularly excited for, obviously, the Pac-12 championship. Yeah. <laughs> Washington, as much as they broke our hearts this year, they still wiggled their way in. Um, that's a, that's by... a testament to where we are as a program right now. That this year felt disappointing. This year sucked. We were pissed off half the time, mm-hmm. and we're still one win away from going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, let's go. It was still sweet too. Last week, just smacking Leach again. We we called it. Yeah, like a month ago. <laughs> like we hope Washington State wins out. We hope they're ranked as highly as possible because you know it's going to happen in the Apple Cup. It happens every single year. It's so nice. I love it too. We <laughs> but there's talk about Mike Leach leaving, and I want him to stay. I love it. It's more fun with him there because he provides he, he provides entertainment with his like interviews throughout the season, and then he lets us smack them every year. He's hilarious, and he gives us a great win to end every year. <laughs> Washington, they always like start getting up in the ra- or getting down in the rankings. What what were they before that or at that game? I think they were eight. Yeah. So thank you, Mike Leach. But that yeah. game, Washington's favored by five and a half, and the over under is forty four and a half. I am also excited. It's up to five was, and a half now. It started at two and a half. Oh wow! People are hammering Washington then. Yeah. The other one, the Big Twelve Championship. I was watching ESPN earlier today, and they were talking all these stats about how they think Texas is actually going to win this game. Well, they won, they, won, these, they won the first one. Yeah, because the spread right now is Oklahoma's favored by eight. 
but they were just talking all these recent trends and especially Big mm-hmm. 12 championships and stuff. But so Oklahoma's favored by eight, over under 77 and a half in that one. And then Mountain West championship, just sticking local yeah. here. Yeah, Fresno against Boise. Boise's favored by two and a half, and the over-under is 53. And that was a good game in the regular season. So mm-hmm. so in the Mountain West title game, this is the fourth time in two years that Boise and Fresno are playing each other, which is crazy. That is. That's crazy. They also played each other in the Mountain West title game last year. Fresno beat Boise at home, and then for some stupid rule, I don't remember, they had to fix it. Boise still hosted the Mountain West title game the next week, despite losing to Fresno one week earlier. Classic. And, and then Boise won at home. This year, Fresno went to Boise and lost 24-17. That was a few weeks ago. Both of them, by the way, will be watching the American uh, Conference title game at 1230 and rooting hard for Memphis to beat UCF. By the way, that UCF quarterback's leg injury – was one of the grossest things I've seen. So disgusting. It, we've had a couple of those now. We had Alex Smith a few weeks ago. Did you see the Alex Smith one? Yeah, I saw the Alex Smith one. That one was gross. Ugh. That, his leg, it was just completely twisted. I, it was just in a spot that you could just so quickly tell that that wasn't oh, right. God, it, it makes me cringe. I'm, I'm thinking about it now. But if UCF now with its backup quarterback loses to Memphis – that means that the winner of Boise and Fresno, I think Boise is 23, Fresno is 25 in the college football playoff ranking. One of mm-hmm. them will go to the near six bowl. UCF would probably still be ranked ahead of them, but I guess the rule is you have to win your conference. Yeah. So, uh, interesting to, that, that game starts at 1230, I think, I believe. Yeah, 1230 and then the Mountain West title games at 445. And then, yeah, you mentioned the Pac-12 title game Friday night. Washington, Utah. Washington went to Utah in week three and won 20 to, 21 to seven. That's going to be a defensive battle. Two really mm-hmm. good defenses. That will not be the case in the big 12 title game. Oklahoma's points allowed down this last stretch. 56 versus West Virginia. 40 versus Kansas. That's bad. Kansas, you're giving up a 40 burger. 47 versus Oklahoma State and 46 versus Texas Tech. Their defense is, uh, Tro, just that's terrible. If you're the if you're if you're Kyler Murray in that offense, how how much pressure do you feel knowing that okay, we gotta put up probably fifty five points to win this game? Every single game. Like a punt is the worst thing you can do. Like we only have so many possessions we're gonna get in this game. Yeah, lucky for them the whole conference doesn't play defense. Yeah, true. True. So they did play Oklahoma and Texas earlier, Red River Red River rivalry obviously. Texas won that one 48-45. In the SEC title game, Georgia versus Bama, 1 o'clock on CBS in Atlanta. Bama a 13-point favorite over the number four team in the country. Isn't that, isn't that ridiculous? It's so dumb. <laughs> so regardless of what happens in that one, Bama is in. Clemson is going to beat whoever, Pitt, whoever they're playing in the, the um, AAC or ACC. You got to listen to what Danny Cannell said about Alabama. Oh, Danny Cannell the- hates the SEC. 
he went in on it today and basically was saying that Alabama needs to be treated as any other team in, in, um, in college, basically saying like, if Ohio State loses the Big Ten championship, they're not in. If Clemson loses the ACC, they're not in. He goes, it needs to be, if Bama loses, then they're not in. Otherwise, they need to change the name from college football playoffs to the Alabama Invitational. While I get that, and that's logical, uh, you can also <laughs> look at the body of work and you can, I have no problem if they lose that game close saying that's one of the best four teams in college football. I hate Alabama, loathe them, mm-hmm. but they're one of the best four teams in college football, regardless of what happens against Georgia. And the idea is to get the best four teams in. Okay. Well, that's the next question is the idea that to get the best four or is the, uh, the idea to get the four best resumes in? Well, you have to use the resumes to, to judge that. And that's where, that's why the playoff committee is always ambiguous about what they're actually looking at. Do conference championships actually matter? Does non-conference actually matter? Cause if Washington doesn't play Alabama, if Washington doesn't play Auburn and they win that game and they find a way to beat, let's say Cal and their only losses to Oregon, but they beat Montana instead of playing Auburn and you have a one loss Washington team, they probably mm-hmm. get in. They probably get in. You'd like to think. So, so the resume thing is, it's, it's always a moving target. Just put eight teams in. That's way more fun anyway. Yeah. Push that thing. I'll be curious. They, they need to advance to eight, just plain and simple. I think it's a, a matter of time. Just there's too much money to be made. Yeah. It's probably a concern of how many games the, the kids are playing too, because then you're starting to have college kids play. Well, then you can have, and if, if that really is a concern, you can factor in maybe buys. You can say everyone's going to play an eight game conference schedule. You get two non-conference games. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. ways, I feel like ways maybe around that. Maybe you even get rid of the conference title games. I like them, but that the would be. The conference title games? Yeah. I like them. I, I like them too. May, may just be a can of worms they don't want to open up. But coming back to it, uh, Bama is in, Clemson is going to beat Pitt, Pitt, I think it is, in the ACC title game. Notre Dame is going to beat USC. Notre Dame is going to get in and then get ran by whoever they play in the first game. So it's either going to be Georgia if they beat Bama. It's either going to be Ohio State or Oklahoma. And I would say probably Oklahoma despite that defense. Mm -hmm. Because their their three-point loss to Texas is a lot better than Ohio State's 29-point loss to Purdue. Ouch. Much better. All right, what are some games you're looking forward to on Sunday? So I was actually a little more excited about the lineup this week. My first one is Thursday because I am excited that Cowboys fans are getting their hopes up because it is about <laughs> to get destroyed. <laughs> uh, Cowboys, I mean, now they snagged first place, but New Orleans, this game's played in Dallas. New Orleans are favored by 7.5, over-under is 52.5. They've just been so efficient it, the Saints are just they playing the best. They don't punt. They do not punt. <laughs> it's crazy how good they are. How just their offense just operates so effectively. It's like they get, like you're saying, they don't punt. They get points on every drive. It seems like Sean Payton is on a middle finger tour. It feels like he's just trying oh, yeah. to put fifty on everyone. Yeah, he does not care. <laughs> there's there's that one, and then you got Minnesota at New England. New England's favored by five, over under forty eight and a half. That game kind of intrigues me just because New England's New England, and Minnesota's just kind of been one of those. They're there. Yeah, exactly. Like they were supposed to be really good this year, but they just haven't really been meeting expectation, but they're still kind of hanging around. So, yeah, that's a good way to put it. They're just there. And then my last one is San Francisco at Seattle because mm. how the turntables have turned. <laughs> 
everybody in San Francisco or all these Niner fans were so excited about this year. And then, you know, unfortunately for Garoppolo's injury, but it just has not worked out for them. And now Seattle's in the mix. Isn't that so funny? I, I didn't even think about that. Like coming into this year is like crap. The Niners are good again. We suck again. Yeah. And it's right back to Seattle being a, I think it's 14 point favorite at home against the Niners. <laughs> yeah. It's like you thought you had us. Seahawks, by the way, what a win at Carolina. Oh. Yeah, insane. Season, either season saving, season making, however you want to fra- phrase it. We're now in the driver's seat. So we got the Niners at home. Then you got the Vikings in Seattle next week. Mm-hmm. So the Vikings, Vikings got to have to win one of these next two. They have to find a way to win at New England or at Seattle. Otherwise, they might be done. And if we if we can win, if we can beat obviously not San Francisco this week, but Minnesota next week, we're we're coming we're coming for that five seed, baby. Let's get it. So you you mentioned the two games, Minnesota at New England, New Orleans at Dallas. The only other matchup this week <laughs> featuring two teams with winning records is mm-hmm. the Sunday night game. It's a juicy one. The Chargers at 8-3 and three at the Steelers, who are 7-3-1. and one. Pittsburgh, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The Chargers, pretty quietly, actually. They're only one game back at the Chiefs. They're, they've been really sneaky. They've been sneaky. Insane. Same division, same division too. Yeah, the, the, those three games are the only three games featuring two teams with winning records. It's kind of a, a stinky NFL weekend. But I'll say this: buys are over, so we got we're back to having thirteen games for red zone on Sunday. Let's go! Give it to me. <laughs> it's it, it's nine and four this week, so you got nine games in the ten a.m. slot, four in the afternoon slot. I will never understand why they do that. Why don't you try to even that out more? That would make like, more sense to me. Oh, so you're saying it's like the morning's not so heavy heavy balanced? Yeah, have seven games in the morning and six in the afternoon. What's wrong with that? Why do we need to have so many games at 10 and I think, at one? Here's my take on it. What do you got? It's to force people to get out of bed and watch the games because there's, if there's more games in the morning, those are when you need to make your bets. Well, they, so they, you, the NFL needs the East Coast watching, and it's 1 o'clock when those games start. Well, where, they can't move those games forward. No, but you move them to four o'clock. All the people on the West Coast are what matter, and they want us out oh, of bed. I'd, I'd agree entirely, but the people are on the East Coast in terms of ratings and numbers and and revenue. Like that's that's all in the Northeast. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's jump into some Twitter questions from you guys. You got a handful to all of you who who wrote questions or wrote us questions. Thank you. So much. We always appreciate it. So fake Matt Mummy, the man when it comes to your questions. This one's, this question is more geared towards you than it is me. If you bought $20 worth of food from Taco Bell, could you eat it all in one sitting? So I had to think about that for a second. Uh, when I was in, when I was in school, 100% no problem. I could have done 30, 35 bucks, <laughs> but I think now still I could do it. You give me, I think I could pound 20 soft tacos for sure. It depends how many Coors Lights I've had. That will be a determining factor for me. I think $20 of Taco Bell, it, you have to do something light. Like you can't do five layer burritos or you, you can't have, mm-hmm. a, you can't have the beans. Oh, uh, you can't, you can't do those monster seven, yeah, five, seven layer. The, no, the, those you are out. stick to a smaller. So I mean, you, you think you could do it. Just 20, 20 of those soft tacos. Those tacos aren't big. I could do 20 things of a cinnamon twist. That's light. That's the lightest thing on the menu. You disgust me. 
All right, Tony asks, can we start a GoFundMe account for the new uniforms and coaches' polos? Did you see the uniforms last night? I did not. They were bad. So what is Adidas doing then? It's a great question. Adidas had a short time frame to work with. That's why you saw the football uniforms were pretty basic. They had more time, obviously, to get ready for basketball season. They've kept a lot of these uni- – like, that was the first time we saw those uniforms. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't look good. Like, they just – they they're blocky. They're busy. They look like, truthfully, to me, uniforms that you would go buy at, like, like a generic jersey you'd buy at, like, Walmart. Like the ones with the million holes, like the mesh type – yeah, kinda. I mean, they, maybe it's one of those things where it, they'll grow on you as the season goes along, but mm-hmm. there weren't, I didn't hear anyone saying they well, enjoyed those uniforms last night. Well, I think part of it too, I mean, Nevada had some dope uniforms last year, so they had some, like you said, short time frame. They got some big shoes to fill, so <laughs> high expectations in that field. Yeah. So yeah, we could start to GoFundMe. The GoFundMe stuff, I don't know how many people are, a lot of that stuff is a scam. Like, I can yeah. set up a GoFundMe, like, hey, we're going to get some new uniforms. And there might be people who donate to it, and I can just keep the money. Like, that happens. Mm-hmm. That absolutely happens. Yeah, I read an article the other week about some huge, I can't remember how many hundred thousands of dollars they got, but it was a scam. Yeah. Law of the Jungle NV. Why do we keep slowing down the pace when we seem to be so efficient when we're pushing it? Where's the press? So we're obviously talking about uh, Nevada hoops here. Nevada must takes pride in playing positionless basketball, and it's tough to do this year when you have a Trey Porter, when you have a Trey Sean Thurman, uh, when you have a Jordan Brown, even though he hasn't been playing a ton lately. So I, I feel like there's this weird, I don't know if it's internal struggle or mental struggle of are we going to just let Jordan play the five and we're going to push the pace and we're going to stick with what we know is what's worked with us in the past, or do we want to find out how to use this length and how to use this size? Because we, we know that we can win playing positionless basketball, pushing the pace. But we also know that we have unmatched length and athleticism down low. So which one do we want to use? Mm-hmm. What, what's it going to be? I think ultimately they got to find a way to play some sort of hybrid and I think probably Trey Porter playing the five would be that because he's just a freak athlete. So I, I think there's some of that going on. Why they're not pressing, that's a good question also. It's a, it's a long season. Certainly maybe they're saving the press because, I mean, they haven't showed it yet. So maybe, maybe that's something we see against USC and Arizona State because th- these are two big, big games for, for this mm-hmm. program. Um, playing Pac-12 teams. So I don't have an answer, but I, w- I would guess that there's some sort of, I don't want to say identity crisis, but they're trying to figure out, okay, what what's going to be our bread and butter this year? Mm-hmm. Blake asks, favorite Christmas song? What well, you I know you're, I'll, I'll, I know I'll let you I, go first. I already know, you, I already know what you're going to say, what yours is, but mine is easily Last Christmas by Wham. Yeah, I knew you were going to go that way. Easily. Have you Such watched good... Have you watched Christmas Vacation yet? I have not, because remember we differ. You're like a start Christmas early, soon as Thanksgiving's over guy. Oh yeah. I am. Uh, I stick to December. I have. So you have, so you haven't seen it yet. No. Uh, well, yeah. So the movies, no. I start. I listened to a couple Christmas songs today, but movies, no. I won't start watching those until December. 
All right. So but that, my, that'll, that'll easily be the first one I watch though. My favorite Christmas song. I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble or not. I don't know if you're technically allowed to do this, but. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Now we're going to, now we're going to, we're, we're going to need to start a GoFundMe now for like copyright infringement. <laughs> The best Christmas song, I don't think it's disputed, that thing is an absolute banger. <laughs> an absolute banger. I'm going to listen to it now once we're finished recording. <laughs> All right, fake Matt Mummy again. Last question. Asked a few of them here. Bowl games on my mind. Same. What bowl game will the pack play in? So I've been clicking around, not a ton, but a little bit. The New Mexico Bowl, I've seen a lot of people project. I've seen... The famous Idaho Potato Bowl, I've seen a lot of people project. The Arizona Bowl, I've seen a lot of people project. Um, I mentioned that weird Media Bowl out in Alabama. I've seen a pos- I've seen the Frisco Bowl. I, it's my guess would probably be the New Mexico Bowl. I've seen the most of that. I mm-hmm. did see before the rankings came out on uh, yesterday. The USA Today had Nevada actually in the Cheez It Bowl, and that would be a good bowl. That's that's supposed to be Big 12 versus Pac-12, and the projection would, would have been versus Baylor, and that's in Phoenix. And you can sign me up for that one. That would be sick. That would have been dope. However, where, what were you going to say? Where are they going to play that at? Would they play it at Cardinals or at Arizona State? I don't know, actually. My guess would be uh, University of Phoenix Stadium, but mm-hmm. who cares? It's Phoenix yeah. in December. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And... But the the rankings came out on Tuesday, and the only way that someone other than the Pac-12 would have snuck into that apparently is if the Pac-12 gets two teams in New York, six bowls, and then teams slide up, and then that leaves oh, an yeah. opening there. But when those rankings came out, it now looks like Washington State is not going to get into New York's six bowl, and that means that the, a Pac-12 team will play in that bowl. So I think the Cheez-It Bowl might be out, but I did see that. That would have been nice. That would have been a nice one. Uh, fake Matt Mummy also asks, uh, why does the potato bowl leave all the dumb Bronco logos on the field during the game? <laughs> no bias at all in, in, in that question. <laughs> Very but, leveled question. Without the, without the logos, how is anyone going to know the games in Boise? Blue turf would, would be the, would be the answer to that question. Bueller. I'm going to, I'm going to guess they leave the logos on there because they don't come off. But that's a boring answer. Or they're just lazy. Let's go with that. They're lazy. They're, they're just like, nah, I don't that, even care about the potato bowl. We'll go with that. I think it does look weird when teams play on other fields and there's a, a logo that that's, doesn't correspond. Yeah, I think that's a third, that is a weird a third, a th- a third party logo. Yeah, we don't, we don't need that third party. Uh, will the Mountain West champs sneak into New Year's Six Bowl? So I kind of went over this scenario already. Basically, if, UCF loses, then yeah, either Fresno or Boise will go. If UCF wins, then UCF will play in the New Year's Six Bowl. What do you have a gut feeling on that one? UCF with, with its backup quarterback? Uh, I still feel like they do it. I still think they're going to beat Memphis. This is a program that's won 89 straight games, whatever it is mm-hmm. for, for UCF. I think this is a team that's going to rally behind its backup quarterback. They're going to say we're going to, yeah. we're going to do it for our dude. He'd, he'd want us to win this game. He needs us to win this game. You want to uh, talk about emotional conference championship game? Yeah, no, no, no kidding. 
Um, so I, I would think UCF finds a way to win that one. They are a three point favorite over Memphis. So it would be nice to see Boise or Boise or Fresno play a big boy in New Year's six. I will be rooting for that, but I, I don't know that it's going to happen. And then the last question, which Mountain West city that currently doesn't have a bowl would be fun to host a game at? Reno. I was looking, why not? I'm going to be biased on this one. I'm just, Hell of stuff to do here. I think there's more things to do in Boise or in Reno in December than there is to do in Boise. Yeah. Or Albuquerque. Like I was thinking about that. I was like, how, like, how are we getting, is it the stadium? Is that what, why we're getting hosed? It might be, it might be the stadium. My guess would be that this, that there's probably less population in Reno. I mean, I don't know what the population is in Boise. Yeah. Or or Albuquerque. I couldn't I couldn't imagine Boise's population being But you you need someone you would need someone to step up and sponsor it. So who wants to sponsor a bowl game in Reno? And that would probably be the biggest hurdle. But there is I mean the airport very accessible. It's a it's not like you having to fly into an airport and get on a bus for two hours. Yeah. Um it, it's an easy trip. You have the hotels right there. I think Reno could be a fun place for a bowl. I don't know that we'll ever see it. And maybe one day we'll have the, the Tesla bowl. The Tesla um, bowl, yeah. I, I think that probably might be the only way. The USA Parkway bowl, get all those companies invested. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that's probably the only way that ends up happening. Okay. Random Reno. What do you got? So I went weather. Now with it starting to get cold, when I returned, I thought that it was like 40 something today and I thought it was freezing cold. Yeah, but so what I saw, I had to go on uh, Wikipedia, so you know this is reliable. Mm-hmm. The most snowfall in the city in one year was sixty-three point eight inches. For our European listeners, that's one hundred and sixty-two centimeters. That was in nineteen seventy-one, and the most snowfall in one month was twenty-nine inches, seventy-four centimeters, and that was in March nineteen fifty-two. That's a lot of snow. It is a lot of snow. And I bought a pass this year, so I'm hoping to break one of those records. Probably not going to happen. <laughs> but re- but Reno, we were talking about this before we came on. Reno is supposed to get snow this weekend. Is that is that true? Yeah, it's supposed to snow. Yeah, it's supposed to snow in a couple days and then two days next week. Do you think it actually and is going to happen? I've been hurt before. We've been stung by that bee many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> but I keep going back for that honey. <laughs> uh, the one that I dug up. Uh, Shaunasaurus. Do you know what that is? Uh, is it related to a thesaurus by any chance or in that family? A thesaurus? <laughs> I have no idea what a Shaunasaurus is. Shaunasaurus. It's a dinosaur. Oh, Shaunas- oh Shaunasaurus. Okay. Yeah. okay. I, I heard, I heard a different pronunciation. Yeah. Okay. So it's a dinosaur and it was basically a giant, giant fish. Huge. Humongous. The thing was approximately, I guess, 55 feet long and marine deal, obviously. Interesting. Ginormous fish. The only state to possess a complete skeleton of this thing is Nevada. Are they saying those things are swimming out in Tahoe? That's got to be some Pangea stuff. I have no idea how that gets to Nevada. I mean... the that you know it's real because it's on the internet, but I would have questions about that. Yeah, just jump the whole state of California. 
Ah, good stuff. And that is our show this week. Thank you to all of you who continue to listen week in and week out. This show is for you guys, and we appreciate you giving us a listen. Thank you to Doug Newth for coming on the show. Great hearing from him, getting his insights on the athletic department as a whole, but especially uh, the basketball program. You can follow us on Twitter, Adam's first this week, at Shop Adam, at Shop Nathan, or at the Reno Slant. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll put you in the running next week for that big, big grand prize. $3 next week. We'll hit you up on Venmo. Tip-off Saturday at USC, 1.30 on Fox. No Nevada football this weekend, but there will be more Nevada football this year, and you know who can't say that? UNLV. Heyo! <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll see you guys next week. Go back. Thanks for listening to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans. Until next time, and we're still not talking about the Loyalist Chicago tournament game.